that's what we are, co-heirs with Christ, amen? Isn't that amazing? Gravity. Co-heirs with Christ, by the way. Get your heads around that. Like, if you were, like, co-heirs with, like, a millionaire or co-heirs with a billionaire, you, you would be pretty excited, wouldn't you? If, if suddenly, no, some of you wouldn't be. I, I, I probably, you know, I confess I probably would be. Like, if one of those, like, random letters that you see in chick flicks came through the door and it was like, Nick Cox, you are a co-heir with, like, a multi-billionaire, I would be, I would probably be like, wow, that's amazing. And, and just think of all, like, I like the, the wanting to be humble part of me would be like, wow, that's amazing, all the stuff we could do for the kingdom um, and like and the other bit of me would be like wow I would have an indoor and outdoor swimming pool okay and like the indoor the outdoor one would just be for birds because like nobody wants an outdoor swimming pool and anyway like this isn't part of the talk but co-heirs with Christ amen awesome I was at a, a, an amazing prayer school this week, absolutely amazing. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, like, we're gonna start. I'm gonna pray, and then we'll uh, break open the word. And um, it was it, the Korean prayer school. I am now, a, I am now um, officially allowed to teach you Korean prayer, and so I am gonna teach you the first part of it. Okay, and it goes like this: get to the end of whatever you're talking about, blah 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 blah, and then. We start to pray. It goes like this. Jesus! 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 And, and how they said it, it's like, if, if, if I need Karen to do something for me, and I'm sat in the lounge, and I'm like, Karen! And like, she's like, and you can hear that she's got kids and dog, and, and I'm like, Karen! And I, I, but that is how they start their prayer. Like, it's like, and, and a bit of me was kind of like, well, you know, do you have to like, and, and it's shouting as well. And then they all pray together. It is, that's an absolute riot. And like, some of the time we were on our knees, some of the time we were like on our faces, but this is how they start their prayer. Jesus! So after three, that is how we're going to start our pra- I'm not joking. After three, the aim of this is to wake Jude up. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> He actually is taking him out. Oh, wow. Okay. So after three, we're going to call on Jesus Korean style. One, two, three. Jesus! Fantastic. You're getting there. Um, they also pray all through the night. Okay. So we'll, we'll get to that bit next week. Okay. Um, but let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that... Um, to be reminded of the passion in prayer that uh, our Korean brothers and sisters have was just such an awesome privilege for me and for Charles this week. And uh, Lord, we thank you though also that we don't have to shout quite that loud. (laughs) Although sometimes I think it changes us when we do. And so Lord, whether we're comfortable with shouting like that or not, what we long for is you. And God, I also believe that what you long for is us. And that when we seek you with all of our hearts, you don't play hard to get. And so would you change our hearts this morning so that they are hearts that are seeking for you? Would you change our hearts where perhaps they don't completely long for you or in fact they won't completely long for you God but would you just continue to to do your surgery on our hearts 
and would you be glorified. Amen. So uh, we're in Acts chapter 9. It's such an exciting chapter. If you want to uh, turn to it, then please turn to it in your Bibles or tablets or whatever it is that you use. If you don't uh, want to turn to it, then that's fine. Maybe shut your eyes and allow me to read it. I'm going to try and read it with a little bit of pace because it's just, so, it, it, you know, it's such an amazing story. So either read along or shut your eyes and imagine along. So this is what it says. Meanwhile, because uh, uh, we've just had Philip and the Ethiopian and, uh, and, uh, and Philip in Samaria and stuff like that and it says meanwhile so at the same time while all of that was going on Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that is followers of Jesus whether men or women he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem as he neared Damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Isn't it amazing, like, just the parallel between Ananias and Saul there. Jesus calls to Saul, and Saul's like, who are you? And, and he calls to Ananias, and Ananias is, yes, Lord, let, let us be people like Ananias who, who can say, yes, Lord, when we hear the call of Jesus. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, And as for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet, Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. 
He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had, been in, who had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an, up, in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. I mean, what an incredible passage it is. I can't actually believe that we have a passage in which Peter raises Tabitha or Jesus through Peter raises Tabitha from the grave, from the dead, and we're not even going to talk about it this morning. Apart from to say uh, that uh, it, it's just amazing looking at Peter raising Tabitha because if... Um, if, if you, you might not have made this connection, but perhaps you will have, and hopefully we will have. But this is exactly what Jesus does. Do you remember when the synagogue ruler whose daughter was dying comes to Jesus, and, uh, and it's in the Synoptic Gospels, I think it's around Mark 5, somewhere like that, Mark 5 or Mark 7, I can't remember. But um, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and nobody else, and he goes into the girl, and remember, and they said, look, you don't need to bother the... the the teacher anymore because the girl's dead and Jesus says to them don't worry she's just asleep and they all laugh at him do you remember that story and so then with Peter James and John and the parents he goes up he takes a little girl by the hand and she's raised and 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 the important thing is that Peter was there Okay, so Peter was there, and then so hearing about Tabitha, this woman who's died, Peter, just something goes in his head, and of, of course it doesn't say it, but it must have happened. He must have been, I remember when this happened before. I remember when this happened, and what Jesus did was dot, 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 and so what I'm going to do is dot, dot, dot. And, and like, that's an amazing challenge and reminder to us. When I was meeting with Molly before she got baptized, I said to her, do you know what, Molly? There is one question, okay, that you could ask, and it is just going to help you so much as you journey with Jesus for the rest of your life, and it's simply this, what would Jesus do? And I know like, it's probably, it's not fashionable amongst young Christian people anymore to have the what would Jesus do band, but there is not a better a question okay and not just for you guys 
And not just for you guys, but for all of us. What would Jesus do? And so Peter, led by the Spirit, remembers Jesus led by the Spirit. And he goes in and he says, Tabitha, get up. I mean, imagine what it would be like. And I'm not talking about raising people from the dead all the time. Because as we said, miracles are signposts. And signposts by definition, this is something I said last week if you were here. Signposts by definition don't come up every single step of the way. But imagine what it would be like if we took the teaching of Jesus seriously. Imagine. Imagine what it would look like if we were a church, if, if, and not just at Southside, but a, a group of Jesus followers, because that's what Christians are, followers of the way, as it said in that passage. Imagine what it would look like if we went into every situation and asked that simple and yet brutally challenging question, what would Jesus do? And that's what Peter did, listening to the Holy Spirit, and a woman came back to life. Amazing. But this morning, as I say, we're not actually going to focus on that at all. I've wrecked my voice, by the way, just there. I didn't use my choir voice. I didn't, like, when I was in the cathedral choir, you got taught where to breathe from and to, where to sing from. And, like, I can see people who've met me for the first time this morning, and they're laughing at the fact that I was a cathedral chorister. Okay? I saw you smiling at each other. Um, but, but, no, like, and I didn't call from the right place, and so now I've got a sore throat. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is we are going to look at what I believe is one of the defining moments in the life of the church. Probably the defining moment, obviously the defining moment is the cross and, and the resurrection. That is the defining moment, of course it is. But in the story of Acts and in Luke recording it, one of the defining moments is the stoning of Stephen. That leads to the scattering of the church. We thought about that a few weeks ago. And as the church went scattered, uh, they, they, they shared the good news. It says they preached the good news but if you were here last week you'll have heard me say that actually it's not like preaching like standing in the middle of town like preaching it's actually just proclaiming the good news as they went sharing the good news with people as they went and what we see this morning is yet another defining moment because so far the mission of the church uh, with it and it started to change last week in chapter 8 but so far the mission of the church has been within the Jew within the Jews it's a Jewish sect at the moment and that's why Saul was going to the synagogues because the place where you would encounter Christians was synagogues. They, they were a sect within Judaism at this point. But now we, we start to see, we see this defining moment where in the calling of Saul, who will become Paul, uh, the church goes off and, in another direction. And now not just Samaria and Judea and to the ends of, uh, not, sorry, not just Jerusalem and Samaria and Ju Judea and Samaria, but now the ends of the earth, now the ends of the earth. The Ethiopian is the first one to go. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch is the first one to go to the ends of the earth. That place, Ethiopia, not Ethiopia as we know it today, but that was considered the ends of the earth. And now God is going to call the apostle Paul, or Saul at this point, to be his apostle to the Gentiles. And so this is a defining moment in the life of the church. We would not be sat here this morning if it was not for this story in scripture. Okay, because we're Gentiles. Okay, we aren't Jewish. I don't know. Hazel's not here. I don't, I'm not aware of any other uh, Messianic Jews here. So, so this is all about how the message came to us. We should be rejoicing because this is our heritage. This is, this is like the start of our new birth happening right in front of us this morning. It is a defining moment in the life of the early church, but it is a defining moment for each and every one of us. So you should be excited. Yes. I think Bill's excited. Fantastic. 
And, and all I want to do is just pull out a few things very quickly. One of them is completely out of context. And I remember um, in, in the very first uh, New Testament class I went to, uh, our lecturer, a, f- a fantastic, a wonderful woman named Marion Carson, does some incredible work. She's both a New Testament um, scholar, but also does amazing and practical work on a Christian approach to mental health and caring for people uh, with, with mental health problems. An amazing woman. But she said that one of, the th- one of the problems with Christians and one of the problems that we were going to face as, as theological students was that we love to rip the Bible out and pull it ap- out apart from its original context. And she said, you just can't do that. But, and there is a but, you can every now and then if the Holy Spirit really prompts you. Now, you're probably all going to start saying, oh, it's always the Holy Spirit, but sometimes it isn't. Um, and I know that because I fall into this error as well. But this morning, I just want to work through very quickly what was going on here. And the first thing that I just want to remind us of, and we thought about this a few weeks ago, but, but, but Saul is on his way to Damascus. He has his letter. He has his permission slip in hand to persecute Christians there, to bring them back to Jerusalem. Again, looking in the synagogues to pull them out um, and, to, and to put an end to this upstart movement. When a light from heaven flashes, he falls to his knees and he hears a voice. And the voice says this, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And at the very outset, I want to remind us of something that we said earlier in this series. But as we preached through this series, I was like, well, it doesn't matter to repeat myself because if it's in here again, it must be because God knows that we are quick to forget. But at the very outset, it isn't Jesus saying, I am Jesus and you are persecuting my church. The voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And there is an incredible truth in that. And it is this, that what you do to the church of Jesus Christ, you do to Jesus Christ. That what you, how you treat the church of Jesus Christ, that's how you treat Jesus. If you treat uh, church if you treat, and I don't just mean this, but I mean everything that is the church. If you adore and love and serve and give your time and give your finance and give your heart to the church of Jesus Christ, then you adore and love and serve and give your heart and give your finance and give your life to Jesus. On the other hand, if you, if you kind of just think, well, church, <coughs> Church is just something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of half committed to, and it's something that I, I slag off a little bit, and it's something that I kind of give a bit of a doing to sometimes, and that I criticize sometimes, and, I'll, and, you know, and that thing called the gathering, and remember, the gathering isn't church, but it's part of church, and, it, and the gathering is something that I'll go to when I feel like it, or when I haven't got anything better to do, and, you know, and I'll give some money to help support that work that they do sometimes, but not all of the time. Basically, that's how you're treating Jesus. Because what, 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 what Jesus says to Saul is that when you persecute Christians, you persecute me. And so, and so to expand that, because most of you don't persecute Christians, in fact, none of you hopefully persecute Christians, and none of you hopefully are persecuted Christians, but, but, but how you treat the church, how you view the church, is, a di- is directly related to how you treat Jesus. 
And, and I was at a, a thing a few weeks ago, at a retreat for ministers. And one of the things, and this, is, and this was like the one that really hit me, and it was this. They said, we are never going to see the ch- change in this nation of Scotland, a nation that we love, a place that we believe God has called us to, a place that we believe desperately needs the gospel with people who are only half committed to the church. And, and, and so although this is a big jump from this passage, in a sense, what I, want, I also believe that it isn't a big jump because what it's saying is, are you, are you in with Jesus? I remember Joe saying the other day when the youth were leading three, week, three Sundays past, and that was a defining week in the life of the church here at Southside. But, but, but he said, are we all in? And, and what this passage is reminding us is that how we treat the church, how we view the church, how we live as part of the church represents how or, or reflects how we see Jesus. You cannot be a follower of Jesus apart from the church. It's impossible. When somebody says to you, I, I, I do Jesus, but I don't do church, say, no, not possible. Okay? Not possible. And, and what this passage reminds us at the very outset is if we love the church, we love Jesus. If we abuse the church, we abuse Jesus. And the reason why that's so important for us to hear is probably because none of us would want to say that we abuse Jesus. But many, if not all of us at times, might abuse the church. You know, even in a phone call the other day, I suddenly realized somebody was saying something to me about, about church. And I checked myself before I, you know, because there are churches that, naturally speaking, I wouldn't want to go to or, or, and that sort of thing. It might not fit with my kind of spirituality or um, just might not be the right place for me or my family or something. But as I've kind of delved into this a little bit, I've been so convicted that how I treat the church of Christ is a direct reflection on how I treat Jesus. And I want to love Jesus. And I know you guys want to love Jesus. And so part of that is to love the church. So that's the kind of, that's the first thing, really, that how we treat the church, how the church is treated is also a picture of how we're treating Jesus. But, the, but and the next thing though, and, and in a sense, it is all reminders this morning because it's stuff that's already come up. But, but straight away also, we see the difference between Saul and, um, and Ananias. And the difference is this, not only that they know Jesus, but that they're listening to the Holy Spirit. So Ananias, when, when Jesus speaks to him, I, I assume by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God speaking to Ananias or maybe a literal voice from Jesus, I don't know. But, but he says, yes, Lord, I'm ready. I, I want to hear from you. And it's just that reminder, isn't it, that we always need to be listening. Ananias was so confident. We don't hear about Ananias again in the whole of Scripture. Well, we do. We hear about him when Saul gives his testimony later on. But that's it. The only time we hear about Ananias again is from Paul's lips when he says that God sent a guy called Ananias to, to come and speak to me. I, I, but the amazing thing is that in this guy who we hear mentioned once, basically, once in all of Scripture, we see such a challenging word for us, and it is this, that we need to be listening for Jesus. Ananias did not have to go, who is that speaking to me? 
Ananias did not have to say, oh, hang on, let me just think. Is that my voice? Is that God's voice? Is that God speaking to me? He didn't have to say, hang on, let me just quickly whip out my Old Testament and decide. He was so confident. And and the only reason he could be so confident at this moment was 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 because he practiced listening to God at all of the other times. Okay, you you don't just go to hearing a message like this from nothing. Ananias must have been a man filled with the Spirit who listened or at least daily was saying, what is it that God is wanting to say to me? You know, the other other Saturday morning, I woke up. uh, Sorry, we were having breakfast and Zoe said, I did wake up, but... um, we were having breakfast and Zoe said to me that she thought that, she, that Jesus was lying in her bed with her the night before. I was like, wow, that's amazing, Zoe. I said, did Jesus say anything to you? She said, yes. I said, oh, wow. I said, what did Jesus say to you? And she said that you should give me and Emily a kinder egg. <laughs> and and, and like, I'm thinking on my feet, right, because I'm trying to do discipleship at home. And for a minute, I wanted to say, no, no, Jesus didn't say that. And then I said, yes, I believe that Jesus said that to you because God is a God who loves to pour out good gifts on his children. This is what I said to her. And so and God is your father and he loves you and he wants to give good things to you. And so I absolutely believe that Jesus said to Zoe that I was to give her a kindreg. And so we gave her a kindreg later in the day. Part of why kindreg was in her head, I have to say, just so it doesn't sound as holy as that, that might have just sounded, was because I hadn't given her a kinder egg on the Friday night, which is normally my little treat to her. But the point is this, from the earliest age, we need to be, we need to, and whether that's early age, as in literally like being young and, and Jude being a baby, or whether that's early in our lives as followers of Jesus, we need to be practicing listening to the voice of God. I said it again to Emily yesterday morning. She was downstairs and I was just praying with her. And, and I just really sensed, I really felt, I really believed that God wanted to say something to Emily yesterday. And I forgot to, and I said to her, Emily, I think God wants to say something to you today. Um, and so just, I'm just going to pray for you now that she would like, you know, just like be listening and that sort of thing. I forgot to ask her at bedtime last night. I asked her this morning, Emily, what did Jesus say to you yesterday? And she said, I can't remember. And I said, but did he say something? And she said, yes. So I'm desperate to find out what it was. But, but the point is this, from childhood, if, if you're bringing up children, uh, from the moment of conversion and becoming a disciple, if you are a new believer, and from now, if you are not and haven't been trying, practice listening to God. Spend time listening to him. You know, don't just sit there and pray and pray and pray with words coming out of your mouth. Spend some of that time just sitting there and going, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Because can I promise you this? He wants to say stuff to you. Amen? Jesus wants to say stuff to you. But we have to get better. In fact, Jesus is saying stuff to you. But we have to get better at hearing it. So Ananias was a guy who was listening for, Jesus, uh, listening for God's voice, listening to the Holy Spirit. But Ananias was also somebody who was willing to follow after a costly call. You know, as you, I, I think there's parallels with Jonah in this passage. Because God says something to Jonah 
And Jonah's like, well, no, I don't want to go and do that because if I do that, they're going to repent and they're going to turn and you're a forgiving God and you're going to love them and all of that sort of thing. And I was thinking, you know, isn't Ananias a bit like Jonah except a better version? Not a better, but you know, but do you know what I mean? Ananias hears this call from God and he's willing to go and do it, but he's not willing to do it without a question to God first. He's kind of like, well, hang on, let me, this might have been part of Ananias' discernment process in terms of is this the voice of God? But he says, uh, God, God, isn't he the guy that's killing all of the Christians? And God says, yes, but I want you to go anyway. Now, you know, you have to be pretty confident in God's calling to do that and, and, in, and in hearing God's voice to do that. Because again, if Ananias gets this one wrong, he's going to turn up at, at, at Saul's at bit and Saul's just going to take him into prison and take him back to Jerusalem. But Ananias is willing to listen to the voice of God and to go where God leads. And I know it's a reiteration of a previous point but it is so important that it's in here again and it's this that that, that we are so busy believing that all God wants for us is safety that we're not willing to step out and go into troublesome places but the amazing thing also is this that Saul needed a guy called Ananias to go to him okay it says I can't is it over over uh, No, it's, in, uh, it's when Paul is giving his testimony later in Acts. Um, no, sorry, it is here, verse, verse 12. In a vision, this is Jesus talking to Ananias. He says, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias. Okay, without Ananias' obedience at this point, God's going to have to find another way of doing it. And he's God, so he would have done. But the thing is this. God needed Ananias to, 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 to bring this plan to fruition. God needed Ananias. He hadn't just said to Saul, some random guy is going to come and see you. He didn't just say, oh, or whoever I can get to believe that I'm speaking to them is going to come and see you. He said, Ananias. Ananias is going to come and see you. Now, have you ever thought that there might be people in your life, or there might be people who aren't in your life yet, but who have literally been told Rosie is going to come and speak to you about Jesus? Can you imagine that, Rosie? No. <laughs> but, but it's true. Sorry, Rosie. I'm just saying that because she's my pal. But, 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 but it's true. There are people who God might be speaking to today saying, Donna Marie is going to come and see you and talk to you about Jesus. Chris is going to come and talk to you. Ian is going to come and talk to you. Uh, You are that important to God. You are that vital to what God is doing in the world that that there may, may well be people who have been told that guy is going to come and speak to you. Andy is going to come and speak to you. Meg is going to come and speak to you. Kira is going to come and speak to you. And God is amazing and God will find another way, I believe. But wouldn't it be amazing to be used by God like that? Nick, go and speak to a man named in that place. And whatever I felt the cost might be, because it wouldn't be easy for Rosie or Donna Marie or Ian, you know, just to wander up, you know, to wherever it is that God says. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. This was costly obedience for Ananias. It was courageous obedience by Ananias. 
but wouldn't it be amazing? You know, if this is the God who we believe in, this is the way he operates today, amen? I want to be a part of that. I want God to use me like that. I want God to speak to me like that. I want God to speak to us like that. And I believe he does. So Ananias goes to Saul. And isn't it amazing that Saul has been blind for three days. He hasn't eaten or drunk. And I just think there's a little bit of a, a kind of a, a picture of Jesus here. The, of death, tomb for three days, not eating, not drinking, blind, not seeing. And then he comes and new life arrives as Ananias comes. And as the Holy Spirit fills Saul and something like scales fall from his eyes. And this is where I just feel, I just want to kind of interject with this knot. I feel like God is saying that there are scales that need to fall from our eyes. Okay, and that's not what the, the scales in this passage are, are clearly about salvation. And, I, and, and there may well be people this morning who need to say yes to Jesus. You know, if you haven't, I, you know, we implore you. <laughs> We encourage you. We, we, you know, we use everything to say, you know, following Jesus, saying yes to Jesus is the best thing that any of us have ever decided to do. And, and when I say decided, really, God decided. He gave us faith. We responded, you know, in a blink of an eye and that sort of thing. But, but that's not the sort of scale falling that I'm talking about. And so it isn't actually the direct uh, kind of application of this passage. But as I was praying during the week and as I was at this prayer thing, this, this part of the passage just came to me and I just feel I wouldn't be being faithful but I just want to say I think there are scales that need to fall from our eyes in terms of how we follow Jesus in terms of how we do church um, and that doesn't mean this bit that means all of it I think there are scales maybe that means something to you maybe somebody here has been challenged that there are scales that need to fall from their eyes maybe I, I, I'm not quite sure what it's to do with but I wouldn't be being faithful if I didn't say it but anyway the scales fall from Saul's eyes and the scales that fall from Saul's eyes are scales that have blinded him to God and now Ananias comes Ananias fulfills the word that God has spoken to Saul and, and Saul becomes uh, is filled with the Holy Spirit and it says this and I absolutely love it and Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And then after he was baptized, he had something to eat. Isn't that amazing? So like Saul hasn't eaten or drunk for three days and Ananias comes, speaks to him, confirms the word of God. The scales fall from, up, from his eyes. Paul is, as they say, converted, although I stand by my point of a few weeks ago, which was that there's no biblical uh, conception of remaining a convert. It's, you are converted into discipleship. Paul becomes, is converted into discipleship. And the first thing he does is the first thing that any newly converted disciple should do and he was baptized and then he got something to eat and so and and again the challenge to us is just you know where are we putting our comfort where are we putting um our our wants needs safety whatever it might be ahead of oh, absolute obedience to jesus absolute obedience to Jesus. Saul, you know, he could have been forgiven for saying, you know, I'm going to come in a minute, but just let me, uh, just let me have a drink and something to eat. But it's almost like 
even in that initial encounter with Jesus, he's hearing the words of, of Jesus, you know, when the guy says, oh, let me go and say goodbye to my family or let me go and bury my dad or, you know, all of that really challenging stuff. And yet Saul, as he is still called at this moment, gets up, is baptized, and then starts to look after himself. It's quite amazing what happens in Saul's life next. He, he goes from having gone to Damascus to persecute. And you all know this. He went to Damascus to persecute. And for one of it, just because persecute and it rhymes with it, but he leaves Damascus a proselytizer. He leaves Damascus as somebody who is there preaching the gospel. He went from persecutor to preacher of the gospel to the extent that it's no longer those who are in Damascus following Jesus who are going to get killed, but it is him who is going to get killed. And of course, what Jesus says to Ananias is, I am going to show him how much he must suffer for the sake of the gospel, for my name. This is what it says in 2 Timothy. I was reading this yesterday morning. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. This is, this is Paul now write, writing years and years later from this, from this day. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this, and of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed. And then he goes on, and in chapter two, he says this. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Do you remember what comes next? But God's word is not chained <laughs> amen this is an incredible true story a defining moment in the life of the early church a defining moment in all of our lives it's a moment that reflects or demonstrates to us how important it is that we are listening for God to speak because God wants to use you and he might want to use you in some of the most specific situations to bring glory to him in a way that you could never imagine. It reminds us of the costliness of following. It reminds us of the costliness of following Jesus. It reminds us of how we are called to treat the church. That how we treat the church is how we treat Jesus. And it reminds us, because Paul's calling is that of all followers of Jesus, to take up a cross, to walk obediently, but also to know that as we do that, as we live out the life of a true follower of Jesus, that God's 
word is not chained, that Jesus is not chained, and that wherever he calls you to, like all of the places that he's going to go on to call this guy Saul, who will become Paul, he can use you, he will use you for the increase of his kingdom and the praise of his name. I I long for that. I know you guys long for that. Let's stand while the band come back up. I'll pray. And then we'll sing a couple more songs of worship as we begin to draw towards the end of our time together. Father, we thank you so much for this story. We thank you for all of the reminders to us in it. There are so many and there, you know, God, as always, we could be here for so much longer. But Lord, we pray that you would go on teaching us by your spirit. That we would be better at hearing your voice. That we would be obedient like Ananias. That we would love the church because it is your body. And that we would walk in confidence knowing God, knowing that whatever might happen to us as we seek to faithfully follow, that your word is not chained. Amen? Amen.